Hey everyone, thank you for tuning in to Hannah and Eric Go Birding. We're a couple of bird brains looking for adventure and some birds. I'm Hannah and he's Eric. And we bring you this podcast to share adventures with you and talk about other random thoughts on birding topics. Just a couple of disclaimers, we're not experts, and if we discuss any controversial material, we hope you keep an open mind, but also remember that we're discussing our own opinions. It's been a whirlwind of a week. <laughs> yeah, yeah it has. We've we've been all over. <laughs> <laughs> yes, literally. Um so just man where do we start <laughs> I, I don't even know so we birded around a little bit in Oregon yeah um and then we hopped on a plane mm-hmm. and now we're down in Florida yep for a couple days yep for Space Coast well what we were supposed to be for for Space Coast yeah <laughs> unfortunately if any of you were at Space Coast you'll know that the last two days were canceled due to weather you know, as Oregonians, we don't really mind birding in the rain, but we can see how others wouldn't. <laughs> yeah, so. well, it was it was pretty miserable. I mean, there were, there weren't many birds out, anyways. We we went birding a little bit in Orlando, like the day that it was really bad, and it not not so much birds. <laughs> oh well, they're they're hunkering down, they're hiding. So so the last two days of Space Coast, they cancel all the field trips, which that happens. That's yeah, that's weather related. Yeah, I bet that was a really hard decision to make. For oh, them. I'm sure it was. Yeah, that's. Definitely don't want to stop people from birding. But exactly. If there's no birds, then people aren't going to be happy. So. Yeah, and <laughs> we were signed up to do a goal workshop one of the days, which I know Eric was really excited I, about. I was super excited about the goal workshop, but oh well. We'll we'll do it sometime. We'll have our own goal workshop. Yeah, we'll we'll have our own goal workshop. I'll, <laughs> I'll get a field guide out and we'll we'll sit and workshop all by ourselves. There you go. <laughs> so, um, I guess. Since uh, we had an interview for this episode, it's kind of long, so let's... Oh, let's do a little bit of birding news. You have you have anything for birding news um, this week? Just one thing I want to talk about. The poor great black hawk. If you've followed that oh story at all, we've, <laughs> we've mentioned it several times. It yeah. went from the southern Texas up to Maine, and then it went out to o- the ocean for like two months and just went MIA, and then it came back. And now the poor thing is going through this whole weather oh system that's the, going the through the The polar vortex is coming through and yeah. just freezing everything. And so there was the last uh, official sightings of it the other day because rehabbers came in and rescued it since the poor bird, you know, from Mexico is yeah. stuck in the, the snow. The sub- subtropical bird stuck in the snow getting frostbite. Yeah. So Eric was just looking earlier and it sounds like they might have to amputate both of its feet because of frostbite. Yeah. It's either both of its feet or a couple toes on both feet. But um, because um, it's a subtropical bird. It has really long legs. It can't tuck those legs up into its fur very well. Fur? Or fur. You know, birds, bird fur. Yeah, bird you know, fur. Bird feathers. Fur. Feathers. It's another name for it. It's, it's, it's technical. <laughs> um, but it can't, it can't tuck its legs up there, so it can't really protect them that well. And I guess I was, I was doing some reading about um, the way northern birds keep their feet warm has to do with the number of branches in the capillaries and veins in the feet, and there's less of them. I thought you were going to talk about birds. trees, branches, and trees. Bra- the branches and trees keep them warm. <laughs> no, the, the branches and like the veins and the capillaries. There's a warming system, and southern birds have a much less extensive hmm. branching system in their legs and feet. So interesting. They're not as good at warming their feet. Do you think it'll be an education bird? <clears throat> I don't know. It has had a heck of a story. It's, it's had a heck of a story. Yeah, it's. I'm sure it's been under the most stress than any other. Blackhawk has been under and still survived well, to this it, point. And it has like like a, it has a, such a well documented story. Yeah, that's I think true. That would be really cool. I'd want to go meet the bird. Yeah, that'd be. I would totally do that. I'd pay money and go meet this bird. <laughs> yeah. Well, as, as long as I can like live a healthy, happy life. Of course. But I don't know how how well like large raptors like that do in terms of like being education animals. How happy they are. I don't know. The Portland Audubon has a bunch of them. Yeah, I guess that's true. Yeah. Did you know in Atlanta there's an education hummingbird? Yeah, I. So I. I don't know. I've read a bunch of stuff about how hummingbirds aren't aren't, aren't good to have for education. Well, but, apparently that but they one do. Does. They've decided that it's fine. I think that's the first them. one. Probably. It's trial, trial and error. <laughs> yeah. Otherwise, what it would have died in the wild. It would have died in the wild. Yeah, that's true. So, um, anyways, moving on to our main content, we were just so honored and excited to sit down with Greg Miller, who you may recognize as being, um, just a amazing force in the birding community. He 
guides for wild side nature tours. And he was also, a portion of his life was also highlighted in the movie The Big Year. Yeah. In his 1998 year, entirely highlighted. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> by immortalized in a movie by Jack Black and Owen Wilson, Owen Wilson, Steve, Steve Martin. Martin. Yeah, and he just was a wealth of information, and I want to call him our bird philosopher because definitely bird philosopher. Yes, he has thought so much about birding and life, and it was really fun to talk to him. And he's really super nice guy. Oh yeah, and we really appreciate him taking the time to sit down with us and and talk a little bit about his year and his life and places he's been. Yes. So please sit back, grab a cup of something warm, (laughs) and enjoy our interview with Greg Miller. Okay, so we're sitting here uh, with uh, Greg Miller. Pretty pretty excited to sit here with you. (laughs) Kind of uh, been kind of a pipe dream for a while to sit and talk to you for a little bit. Seeing you kind of around, seeing the big year movie. Of course, yeah. Super exciting. Yeah. (laughs) That's just the real story. That's the real story. (laughs) So, um, did you want to introduce yourself a little bit? Tell us, tell the audience a little bit, a little bit about yourself, if if people don't know. (laughs) My, um, I'm Greg Miller. Um, I got started birding. Well, before I can remember, um, my dad and mom must have given me binoculars before I could remember ever. I just always had binoculars. I mm-hmm. don't ever remember getting the first pair of binoculars. And I don't remember the first place I went birding. I <laughs> have always enjoyed birds and always had binoculars. I asked my mom uh, uh, several years ago, how early in life could you tell that I like birds? And my mom said, before you could talk. <laughs> and I said, before I could talk? What do you mean? How could you possibly tell that I like birds? She said, well, we we uh, took you to see some ducks, and uh, we held you up, and you kicked your legs and giggled. <laughs> <laughs> so... Uh, my spark bird must have been uh, some type of waterfowl. <laughs> <laughs> Probably like in the city park or like some mallard, right. domestic mallards or my, something. <laughs> uh, uh, my dad was my birding mentor, and he's okay. the person who got me started birding from knee-high to a duck. And we've just, <laughs> I, I've birded all my life. Yeah. And uh, it's been a wonderful hobby, uh, even though it was kind of one of those things you kind of had to do in hiding. Uh, in years past, now has become more popular and far more acceptable. Yeah, uh, you still have circles that that make fun of you, but you don't have to worry too much because there are enough people that respect you for what you do and the passion that you have. Uh, it's a good thing. Yeah, well, and it takes a lot of time to like learn that much about birds. So you you've, you've spent a lot of time. Like behind books and then just observing and just all that. Perfecting your craft. Perfecting it, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, back in the old day, things were really old school uh because there weren't so many books. There were no cassette tapes when I was a boy. There were no, there wasn't even eight track back then. Uh, And my dad didn't have, it it didn't even have LPs with uh, the, you know, the old LP record with Mm -hmm. bird songs. I asked him, I said, how did you learn all these bird songs and calls? He said, well, when I, I heard something I didn't recognize, I'd go track it down to find out what was making that noise. And that's real old Just school. Just old school, old school. <laughs> <laughs> and it's still to this day that the way that uh, when I hear something singing, if I can find it and watch it open its mouth and hear the sound, the impression of that bird is associated with that song better than any other thing I've, I've ever done. Yeah. And so that's what I recommend to people. If you hear something, you don't know what it is, track it down. (laughs) Take some time, be patient, and you'll be greatly rewarded. Yeah, that's, I've, I've always thought that. Somebody else has told me like a few years back, that same, same, same sort of thing that when you see it make the sound, that's, that's how you know you can, you can figure it out because you've, you're, wa- you're watching the bird physically make the sound, watching its body movements, the way it throws its head, and all, all that stuff when it's making the sound. It right. kind of solidifies it in in your mind, kind of. And it associates the two things. Yeah. Because you're seeing both 
the picture of it and you're hearing the sound at the same time. So right. it's connecting them. Yeah. For some reason, mo I think a majority of people are visual learners. So when they see the birds sing and then they hear it, it makes more sense than to just hear a sound without the associated bird actually singing it. Even mm -hmm. if they look at a picture, it's it better, but it's still not the same as actually yeah. being seeing it in real life for yourself because you've also tracked down the bird and found it. So you are already invested in it. Yeah. And yeah. it's the investment part that, that gets used. If you're going to learn a sound, just the straight sound, there are plenty of uh, apps available now to yeah. learn bird songs. But I find that the thing that helps me the most is just to play something over and over and over and over again. And just like the movie, uh, The Big Year, when at the beginning of the movie, Jack Black has, has a headset on. I mm -hmm. used to do that all the time as a computer programmer. I, I didn't have to talk to too many people and I would, <laughs> uh, listen to bird songs and calls, yeah. uh, quite often and especially during the spring because March was my warm up for May. Is that, <laughs> The warblers only spend a few a few weeks with us uh, singing, and mm -hmm. so you only have a short amount of time to brush brush up on. Yeah, and yet you have to be thirty eight species of warblers in the east. Oh my gosh! So, so is that where you bird almost entirely? Like when you're not traveling for guiding? I, I grew stuff? up in Ohio, live in Ohio, and bird in Ohio. <laughs> okay. So, and when people ask me, well, where's your favorite place to go birding, and I. I have to say it's wherever I'm at because yeah. I love birding at so many different places. And then they'll say, well, they want something more specific. Uh, <laughs> where do you keep going back to every year? And I have one spot in Ohio that I have visited every single spring since 1981, okay. except for two years. And that is McGee Marsh uh, okay. up at the, in Western Lake Erie and the... There's now a festival associated with that, the timing of the, the warbler migration called yeah. Biggest Week in American Birdie. Yeah, we really need to get yeah, up to that festival. To <laughs> yes, you do. There are many yet. places in the East where you can see many species of warblers or hear them sing. But there are yeah. few, few places in North America that you could go to and see as many species of warblers in your face closed. I tell people... Well, my boardwalk list at McGee Marsh is 14 species. Oh, I've gotten 20 species of warbler in one day. Well, yeah, you could get that there too. But I said boardwalk. These are birds that are physically on the handrail or on the boardwalk oh itself. Gosh. 14 <laughs> species of warblers. That's pretty good. That's really They're down low. Wait, they're on the boardwalk. Yeah, no warbler neck or anything. No, no warbler neck. <laughs> There are still still some big trees, and you'll have some birds up there, but yeah. uh, many of the birds are going to be down low. They uh, the, Often the reason they are low, the winds uh, from Lake Erie uh, coming, coming yeah. in from the north uh, keep the insects down. Uh, they like to eat midges, and okay. we have midge hatches uh, in May, and the birds will be picking them off the bottoms of the leaves. Wow. They look like mosquitoes, but they're mm -hmm. not. Uh, and it's... Uh, a food fest for uh, <laughs> for the birds. So it's something that has happened uh, for years. And yeah. like I said, I've been going there since 1981, and, and uh, it's my favorite spot. Yeah, we really need to get up there. We, we, we spent some time, like when we lived in Texas, we spent some time going to Galveston Island and High Island and stuff like that. But it sounds like... Uh, McGee Marsh is where we need to go. Yeah, really. <laughs> you, 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 get a, you get a ton of warblers and stuff there during migration, right. but almost all of them are at least like six or eight feet up yeah, for the most know. part. So you're, you're, you're looking up. Well, in, growing up in Ohio, inland Ohio, I, about 100 miles south of Cleveland, uh, I was used to looking at trees six, 60 to 80 feet high yeah. Uh, to see some warblers only travel in the in the treetops, uh, and, and by like we have uh, down where I live nesting cerulean warblers, and cerulean's are notorious for picking the very tallest trees and being <laughs> at the tip top of the very tallest trees, and so it was an amazing thing for me to to see many species of warblers 
other. Cerulean is still pretty unusual at uh, McGee. Cerulean is pretty unusual at High Island, and Cerulean is also unusual in uh, many of the other uh, uh, hotspots that that people go to. Yeah. Uh, But often what happens with Cerulean warblers, they come across the Gulf and fly inland rather than dropping in right on on the on the shore. Huh. I didn't so know that. <laughs> Ohio has the second largest breeding colony of cerulean warblers in the world. Oh, wow. Really? Uh, down if you uh, Ohio makes kind of a V uh, down along the Ohio River and down at the point uh, is uh, Scioto County uh, with Shawnee State Forest and okay. that's the second largest breeding colony of cerulean warblers. The largest is in West Virginia. Huh. Well, we definitely have to go there. I've, I've, yeah, I think we chased them, uh, cerulean's around Florida. We chased, chased cerulean's around Florida, following sightings here and there, here and there. <laughs> never, never ended up seeing one. So definitely, definitely need to go see one. It, it's our life. bird for the Ohio Ornithological Society. Okay, that that's our logo. Little bird logo. is a cerulean warbler. Oh, sounds huh. like a good choice. Yeah, that's yeah. A, it's a beautiful warbler. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Yeah, I've seen lots of pictures. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, do you have a favorite birding adventure that you'd like to share? My favorite place to go in the world, uh, just as far as world travel goes, uh, hands down, Ecuador. Oh, we just, oh, we just, we just got, got back, back from Ecuador. Yeah, yeah. Ecuador, is, and, and people say, well, what's good about Ecuador? Well, let me start. It's <laughs> about the size of the state of Colorado, which is it's not, not huge for a country, uh, but it has a bird list of over 1,700 species of birds in an area the size of the state of Colorado. That's yeah. 70% more species of birds than all of North America, Canada, yeah. and the United States combined. That's a lot of birds. That's <laughs> a lot of birds. But the real gem of Ecuador are the hummingbirds. Yeah. Because uh, in a couple of weeks' time, if you started on the western slope, went over the Andes, down the eastern slope, and ended up in the Amazon Basin, you would end up with 60 to 70 species of hummingbirds oh that you will get in just two weeks. That's more species of hummingbirds than have ever been recorded in Costa Rica. And most people go there for the hummingbirds. And they have 53 yeah. species. That's good. Yeah, It's much better than North America. But it's not <laughs> like being on the equator. Yeah. Well, I think what do we we had thirty eight 30, species, like thirty four, thirty eight, 30, yeah, something like that species in the two weeks we were there. But we weren't specifically humming going for hummingbirds. We were just trying to see everything because it, it was first time in Ecuador, first time awesome. in South America. So we were like, we need to see everything we can. So we didn't have like specific targets of anything. It was just let's look, let's look at everything. Okay. So not only is it just terrific for for birds but it's also a really beautiful place it has about 65 volcanoes i believe of which i think 32 are active um and and so the and the andes are massive you'll see mountains that top out at like sixteen thousand feet and uh it's the mountains that are home to the andean condor Mm -hmm. if you've been up to antisana we we went up to antisana when we were there yeah that was that was amazing. Our guide said that that was probably the most Andean condors he'd ever seen. Was the day we went there? Probably yeah. saw like ten. It's the most Andean condors I think we I've had seen. Six, I think we had sixteen total. Oh, okay. like we, I, I only reported ten on eBird, but the um, throughout the day, I think like sixteen total. It, it's a fantastic oh place, uh, and it was surprisingly cold. No matter what time of year you <laughs> you go out, but you're at, you're at such a high elevation because yeah. Papa Jacques the Pass, you get thirteen uh, five, I think it is thirteen thousand five hundred feet. That's pretty pretty high for a, a road. Yeah. Even in the states, you'd it would be chilly to be in the Rocky Mountains. Yeah, in the summertime, you, you, I remember throwing snowballs in July, <laughs> thinking that was the coolest thing when I was a kid. But Ecuador is also good for some other things. Uh, one, uh, politically stable for right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's uh, easy to get around in. The infrastructure is actually pretty good compared to other South American countries where you feel like you might be risking life and limb driving to your next burning location. Um, the, uh, the currency is U.S. currency, so you can, you, you take a, a lot of lower bills. You don't want to take a big bills to, yeah. 
uh, to Ecuador because they won't change them. Yeah. But 20 and less are just fine. Yeah. Um, and then uh, the other thing that delights me as a birder, I, I travel with a lot of electronics and, you know, I have to charge my battery, my phone, Constantly, my cameras, yeah. <laughs> that, all kinds of stuff. So uh, they use the same electrical current as we do here in North America. So mm -hmm. there's a lot of really cool things about Ecuador. And most of the lodges that uh, we stay in on Wild Side Nature Tours mm -hmm. uh, are, we have at least one English-speaking person available. Yeah. Which, which makes it pretty, pretty nice to travel. Yeah, when when we went, we did uh, we hired a, um, a a couple. That's that's one about the lights if they're gonna go out <laughs> on us here. But um, we we hired um, a couple guides that were English speaking. Uh huh. But then for the most part, we just got the local guide that was like advertised as non English speaking. Uh huh. But they're working on their English, right? Because they want to be an English speaking guide because they they can make more money doing that. So they they were working on their English. So they were super excited to talk to us and try to talk to to us in English. Sure. Which I, I speak a little bit of Spanish, and they spoke a little bit of English. So it's kind of, it it worked out. It worked out. It was it was it was good. So even going with somebody that didn't specifically speak English still still worked out pretty good. Yeah, it was pretty easy us. to yeah. get around. Yeah. So when when was the last time you were down in Ecuador? Uh, was there in 2015? Okay. So not 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 that long ago. About time for a return <laughs> trip. <laughs> yeah. And so the last time I was in Ecuador was for 30 days. Oh, wow. oh my god! I was there uh, for a 17-day tour that I was describing the Andes and Amazon uh, tour that's yeah. in northern Ecuador. We fly into Quito and burn the cloud forest, the western slope, then go up into the Andes for uh, Rufus Belly Seeds Snipe and the right. Andean Condor, then come down the eastern slope, uh, which is the wetter slope in mm -hmm. South America, uh, and into the Amazon basin, finish up at uh, a little town called Coca. Mm -hmm. We take a canoe trip uh, to Napo Wildlife Center uh, mm -hmm. and spend four days there in the Amazon basin. We have all kinds of mammals, uh, maybe half a dozen species of uh, primates, mm -hmm. and uh, a canopy tower yeah. that and uh, claylix that look at parrots and parakeets. And uh, plenty of toucans and macaws and, and it just all kinds of stuff that you only dream about. Yeah. And it's it's such a wild place. And the tanagers are probably oh <laughs> very next to the hummingbirds as gems of Ecuador. You'll in two weeks we usually get seventy to eighty species of tanagers. Oh my gosh. And uh, I don't know if you guys saw the the, to me, the wildest <laughs> one the, is the paradise tanager. It oh, looks like somebody put, took neon plastic parts and you know just kind of stuck them together. That and with all these really uh, super bright colors, yeah. bright red and bright yellow and bright green and <laughs> bright blue and black. Yeah, it's insanely stunning. It, <laughs> It it would make a painted bunting blush. <laughs> <laughs> we, we were we were blown away by tanagers. Like I know, like, I felt so stupid when I got there because I was like, oh, you know, I know western tanager and summer tanager and scarlet and everything from being up here. And then I got down there, I was like, mind blown. I can't believe all these other ones exist. And I'm, didn't I didn't even know. know. Yeah. <laughs> and our tanagers here, you'll find out, are not actually true tanagers. The ones that you see mm -hmm. there in, in Ecuador are. True tanagers, but really, really cool. And there are just so many different varieties. Even sitting at a feeder, you you might see a dozen species of uh, tanagers coming into feeders. Yeah, it's amazing. It's I, I was like, like you said, like definitely comparable to the hummingbirds because they're oh, yeah. just so like the hummingbirds for the most part are mostly like the greens and the purples and stuff like that, like regular like hummingbird colors. Uh, but the tanagers are just like. All over the spectrum, like every every <laughs> every imaginable color, you, you can find it in a tanager down there. And they're there. bigger, and they sit there a little bit longer than the <laughs> They don't move quite so. as fast. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that, that was I didn't even know tanagers were a big thing, and then we get down there, and it's that's the bird. Yeah. tanagers, tanagers. Between tanagers. the tanagers and the hummingbirds, if you learned tanagers and hummingbirds, you would know a quarter of all the birds you're going to see in Ecuador. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was that was amazing. 
And the jungle, I was really surprised. Uh, you get down to the Amazon basin, and the, the whole environment is centered on one critter, ants. Ants drive everything. Yeah. And it, th there's everything has to do with ants. It's amazing because <laughs> there's stuff that eats ants and there's stuff that follows things that eat ants. Yeah. And it's, it's, the chain is just amazing. So, like something like an ant pitta. I don't know if you got to see any of the ant pittas. We, we, we got to see one, yeah. Ant pittas don't actually eat ants. <laughs> but ant pittas will follow a string of ants because ants are good at finding food. So they'll follow a stream of ants and run up in front of them and eat the source of the food that the ants are going after. Oh, <laughs> so it's really they're really uh, opportunistic. Yeah. They because they let the ants find the food, and that's what they they feed on. And they're a very very secretive bird. Until uh, fifteen twenty years ago, they were only known. You just hear them, and then mm -hmm. it's just a handful of specimens. But with the advent of uh, people learning to put out food, yeah. uh, like many of the places I was at, they would they would uh, toss worms out and wait for the ant pittas to, to come in yeah. to, to to pick up the pieces of worms, and yeah. you would get a flashing glimpse, and then they melt into the forest again. Mm -hmm. and, never to be seen again. That, 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 that's the way we. The one that we saw was the same thing. They they. They knew they've been training, basically like training it to come every morning to get their worms that they put out every day for it. And it comes, it's there for 10 seconds, maybe 15 seconds, and then it's gone. And then they're, then they just turn to us and they're like, well, you want to see it again? Come back tomorrow. <laughs> it won't come back again today. Yep. It's like, that's crazy. <laughs> it's just in, out. <laughs> that's, that's the only thing we see it. It's crazy. And like you say with the ants, like I was, I, that was another thing I was amazed about. Like, Ant Ran, Ant Shrike, Ant oh, Pitta, yeah. Ant, everything, everything yeah. was Ant this, Ant that, Ant yes. this, Ant that, all the way down the line. So it's, everything follows the ants. <laughs> they follow the ants, they eat the ants, and the ants do amazing things. Yeah. Now, did you see any of the gigantic mounds, uh, the leafcutter ants? I don't know. We, I didn't think we saw any there, but we... We, well, we saw a string of uh, leafcutter ants. We, we saw, uh, when, we, when we were walking um, along the, the river... To, um, what, what city? What community was Sonny? that? Sani, near Sani, yeah. Well, we saw we saw them at Sani. The Napa yeah. River. Yeah, it was along the Napa River. Yeah. yeah, there was some trails that were walking in the jungle there. That it was just like you were stepping over ants after like ant trails are just going back and Did forth. Did you get to see any bullet ants? Yes. yes. Those things are terrifying. Those are haunt my nightmares. It looks like a wasp on the ground. Yeah. They don't have wings, but they're huge they're giant, ants. Yeah. And you know how they got their name, right? Because it, it hurts like a bullet, right? Yes. Yeah. Have you ever gotten bit by one? I, I haven't gotten bit by one, but I had one in my shoe one morning. Oh, oh my gosh. That's terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> when you're in another country, actually here in the United States, if you travel to the southwestern United States, you should always check your your boots or your shoes uh -huh. before you put them on. Same thing in the tropics. Always look at your shoes before you put them on. You, you never know um, what might be there. Yeah. I had a bullet at one morning. Wow. So, so you, you saw it and dumped it out or you put I your did. foot in? I okay. saw it and dumped it out. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, that's terrifying. Yeah, we, yeah. we saw a couple. There was, um, we went up on a, a canopy tower, saw, saw one walking up and down the um, the branches up there, and then a little like the next day, I was I we were walking through something, and I, I had my he head like within like a foot of a branch, and I turned over, and there was a bullet ant like standing there, like looking right at me, like a foot away from my face, and I'm like, all right, well let's keep on moving, <laughs> let him do his thing, I will just keep walking. <laughs> I, I don't know about you. The other nice thing was I I got. Uh... The time that I was in Ecuador for about 30 days, I bet I got a dozen uh, mosquito bites, and that was it. Oh, we got eaten up in Mindo. In Mindo, yeah. We well, had this really nice porch on our, our uh, Palapa, our cabin that we stayed yeah. at, and uh -huh. we stayed out and just watched the you know the stars, and like our ankles the next day <laughs> were just super bitten up. <laughs> but it was, but it, it was just our ankles, though. It wasn't huh. it wasn't like nothing on the head, neck, shoulders, nothing like that. It was just... 
pretty much from like your mid shin down. And then when we went to go see the cock of the rocket, Paz de la Aves, and yeah. out of Mendo, uh, we were walking down the trail, and he always wears shorts everywhere we go. Yeah. Um, it's just a new thing that he's wearing pants all of a sudden. It's, it's weird. <laughs> but I looked, he was in front of me, and I looked, and he had these black bugs on his legs. They looked like black mosquitoes, and there was like blood dripping down on his legs. I don't know what they were. I don't know. They were, they were all over my legs, and my legs had like, I had like sores all over. <laughs> it was like some black flies or something. Uh-huh. Maybe we just had a bad experience that one time but it sounds like you but, but, but that was run into a little batch of biting flies and that, that and those are the only bites that we got the whole time though because yeah. the, the rest of the time it was just itchy from the one day that we got yeah. all the bites <laughs> yeah but, if you do run into and there are pockets of places that have them but i, I was surprised that but how few mosquito bites i yeah. i got i've also done like i really love we do an Amazon riverboat cruise that flies into, we fly into Lima, Peru, and then the price of the our trip includes uh, airfare to Iquitos, uh, and up in northeastern Peru, the head, there's two rivers that come together to form the headwaters of the Amazon. Okay. You think, well, it'd be a lot smaller up there, like a normal River. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no. The headwaters of the Amazon are about a mile wide. Oh my gosh. Actually, almost two miles wide. Uh, because each of the feeder rivers that feed into the Ukulele and the Marignan rivers that converge there mm-hmm. in, in Iquitos, uh, are both about the size of the Mississippi. Oh my gosh. Uh, down in New Orleans. Where it's, it's about a, they're each about a mile wide. Yeah. And there's a, they're shallow, but they're a real flow. Yet it's nothing to see whole entire trees floating down the river. <laughs> so there's some really strong current. Yeah. And it's a muddy river. It's so, and this is the headwaters. So once you get to the delta of the Amazon, it can be like Just, 300 miles of oh uh, the, the, the delta portion of. Yeah. Of Amazon, it's amazing, <laughs> and that that trip we are on a luxury riverboat with air conditioned cabins, which is nice on the Amazon. Yeah, because <laughs> there were some places that we got to very quiet waters, and there were mosquitoes. But if you knew ahead of time, it, you knew not to spend a whole lot of time outdoors. Yeah, because <laughs> uh, those are the places that we would tie up uh, to the riverboat to dock at night. Okay. Uh, you want quiet waters for that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, when it, when it got dark, we were inside or just walking back and forth to the, the, the wonderful, they had a, a, a restaurant on the second level, uh, and they ha- would have a buffet every night. There are 61 or 62 species of catfish in the uh, Amazon River. So we had fresh fish every night. <laughs> a different catfish every I, night. They served other things like chicken and stuff, but I never ate that. I, <laughs> it was, I have fish every night. This is awesome. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, we had uh, about 300 species of birds on that trip uh, in one week. Wow. And uh, it was a real experience to... Uh, to not only see the birds, but to actually be on the Amazon River. We had about a dozen species of primates uh, there. And, and then just seeing the the people who live along the river. Mm-hmm. And extraordinary. The people, they, they make their living uh, on the river. So it uh, we a couple of times during that week, we saw people with uh, boats that were loaded down with stuff and the the locals told us well these people uh, have probably uh, finished or have not had success where they were at some place up the river and they're just loaded everything they own into the boat and go down the river and really? they'll set up shop somewhere uh, huh. further yeah. down the river so and then to clear things out the oh, how fast things grow in the tropics like up here in North America leaves will de- will take up to a few years to decay yeah. from the time that, that it hits the earth to the time that it actually becomes earth. Mm-hmm. It, it take, can take years. In Ecuador, a leaf falls <laughs> to the ground. 30 days later, it's dirt. <laughs> it's extraordinary. 
It's all the ants. The, <laughs> the, the ants are chewing it up. And <laughs> who knows? But the, the the decay and decomposition are just extraordinary there as well. Yeah. Well, um, that that sounds like, man, a ton of great information for our listeners about Ecuador. We provided a couple episodes and then did a bonus episode on like tips and for traveling there, but man, you have some great experience yeah. down there. And we, 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 should, we should we should have interviewed you instead of your sister. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> about, about I always travel uh, internationally <laughs> with plugs, but at, for Ecuador, you don't need an extra plug, but you should take an extension cord and maybe a surge protector along because mm. your electrical current is uh, maybe not as stable as as ours. So, yeah. and many of the hotels or the resorts that you stay in. We'll only have one or two outlets, and mm-hmm. if you're like me, you need lots of outlets. So <laughs> yeah. even here in North America, I travel with a 12-foot uh, extension cord and then a bay of outlets to plug in all my stuff. <laughs> Just to have enough yeah, stuff to plug exactly. in, yeah. <laughs> So, um, transitioning a little bit. So we love the big year that we were such nerds. We were there on opening night of it in our local theater. Me too. (laughs) (laughs) I wasn't in your theater, but I was in mine. Well, you kind of were in our theater. (laughs) Um, so we just absolutely love that movie and we run a little family hotel in Oregon and we have two copies in our DVD collection, and we tell everybody to watch it. Yeah, any, anytime somebody comes in and asks for a recommendation, be like, well, our, my favorite <laughs> is The Big Year. And then they'll be like, oh, I'm, it's like, oh, it's got all these famous people. And you know what? This is what why we bird. And yeah. We, we, we just tell them that, and they'd be like, and they get all excited about it, and then they go watch it, and they come back, oh, that was a great movie. <laughs> it's like, yeah, it was. It's a good movie. Everyone needs to watch it. It's my favorite movie, but I'm pretty biased. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, do you did you ever think you know that you would have Jack Black oh, doing your life? I, I never dreamed it would even be a movie or a book. <laughs> <laughs> what what I did when I did my big year, I I was surprised that I I, I didn't even believe I could get to seven hundred. When I started out the year, I would I was just shooting for six hundred mm-hmm. because I did a dry run the year before that. I did uh, I had done some research and I figured out there were four core areas in the lower 48 that you should go to uh, to get you to uh, a higher number. There had such unique species of birds at those locations that they were must-see during a year where you're going to see as many species as you can in one year. They are Southern California, Southeastern Arizona, Mm -hmm. Southern Texas, and Southern Florida. And all the big year birders know about these places because not only are the great places to bird have very unique birds, but they also have rarities that yeah. show up either from the Caribbean or from Mexico uh, or from Asia. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that's the addition of Alaska. So I did those four. I did one one week in each of those four areas in 1997. Plus, I birded every weekend in Maryland while working full time, and I had I spent fifty five hundred dollars. And saw 537 species of birds in one year. Wow. So I thought I was planning to go to Attu the next year because I didn't know how long Attu was going to be available to to birders because they, every year they were talking about, you know, we're, we're, (laughs) we're going to stop doing this is just logistically really difficult. So. I wanted to get in before they quit taking the tours out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I thought, well, if I make the trip all the way to Alaska, I might as well stay there and see how many species of birds I can add. And I, by my guesstimations, I could add about 50. Mm-hmm. Uh, so at 537, add 50, gets me to 587. I could eke out another 13 species of birds. I've had 600 species of birds while yeah. working full time. That's still a pretty stunning number. Yeah. And so uh, that was my plan at the beginning of the year. I Also, too, when I did my big year was I really hadn't uh, thought about a big year until 96, 97. And when uh, it just my life had fallen apart and everything I counted dear was gone. And mm-hmm. I all I had left was birding. <laughs> and so I was contractor... I had, because I left a job that I thought I wanted to stay at 
for the for rest of my life. Yeah. And now looking back on it, I'm really glad I left. That <laughs> I, I was at uh, uh, this place called Freddie Mac, which oh. was a great company. But I always wondered to myself, how could they give me all these benefits and everything? How could they? How did they make money like this? This is this is phenomenal. Yeah, <laughs> I, I want to be here for the rest of my life. But now with the housing crash of yeah. 2008 and nine, I'm. Really happy that I didn't stick around. So uh, it, it worked out. I, I became a contractor. So when I worked, I got paid. When I didn't work, I didn't get paid. Mm -hmm. So I, at the beginning of the year, I told my man, manager, look, here are the types that I went off. Uh, and he said, sure, as long as you're on, on schedule uh, with your project, uh, see no no problem yeah. with doing that so uh that that's how i went into my big year thinking i was going <laughs> after 600 yeah and had i not had a painful experience with uh being divorced and switching jobs and and just doing so many things that are are big life changes yeah uh, moving <laughs> i uh, threw myself into the burning because I didn't want to wallow around uh, in self pity. Yeah, There's nobody yeah. likes a person like that, and <laughs> my my I have a tendency to be really depressed and really emotional, and yeah. so I, knowing that I need, I, but I knew I was kind of like a little kid too. If I have a distraction, I'm going to be okay. Yeah, yeah, and the best thing I could think about was burning. So. I went birding and I birded hard. So by June, I had my 600 species of birds. Oh my I had uh, 611 species of birds, but I was sick. I was out of money, and now I was I'm out of out of time too. I I'm behind on my project. I need to need to catch up. Yeah. But I'm having dinner with this guy, a birding friend of Maryland, Kyle Rambo, and uh, he says, "Let me get this straight." You're at 611 species of birds, and it's only June. Just when do you think you're going to have this opportunity again? Besides that, what's the North American record? At that time, the North American record was held by Santa Comito, mm -hmm. and it was 721 species. He says, you're 110 species off the record for North America. And how can you say you're going to stop here? Yeah, you're you're going to regret way. this. And so I went home. I went back to the drawing board. The first thing I did was got the list, American Birding Association list out. And every bird that was on there that I hadn't seen yet. Mm -hmm. So 300 some spe odd species of birds. And I figured out I've only got half the year left. What are my odds if I went to the very best place at the very best time in the fall Late summer and fall, what are my odds of getting? If it's 50 or 50 or better, I put down a one. Yeah. If, it's 50, if it's less than 50, 50, zero. Okay. So I had 123 species that were a one. And I go, ah, if I would see all of those, I could potentially set a North American record. Yeah. But the chances of that happening are not great because 50, 50. <laughs> so I <laughs> figured 50, 50. if I saw half of those it'd still be 60 species of birds that would put me at 676 species of birds that's in spitting distance of 700 and that for a year and working full time is just phenomenal yeah it is so I went back to my manager told him what I wanted to do told him that I would spend some time catching up on my schedule uh, and then also asked him if we had a flexible 40-hour week. Okay. said, how flexible is that? <laughs> if I wanted to work three days, 13 and a third hours, could I do that? I said, well, as long as you meet all the people that you need to meet and you stay on schedule for your project, I don't see a problem with that. Oh. So I was very motivated to work when I was there. Yeah. But I was very motivated to work long and hard to finish everything as fast as I possibly <laughs> could. So I could get out birding. So yeah. what I ended up doing for the remainder of the year, I had uh, I would work four days, take off Friday, Saturday, Sunday, 
Monday and then work Tuesday through Friday. So I'd have a four-day weekend, two-day weekend, four-day weekend, okay. two-day weekend. So the four-day weekend, I could get to the West Coast and do some birding yeah. and get back to work the next week. And, and then uh, the two-day weekend allowed me... Uh, I 500 miles was my drive time for a, for a day to go go chase a, a bird. So if I was within 500 miles of something I could chase by car, I would do it. Wow. <laughs> I say five, I think That's 500 crazy. is a little more than what we're, yeah. we're typically chasing. I well, think 200 maybe. Your yeah. mind might change if you're what, if we're you, that close to what, once you get into the 600s, you your your distances change yeah. and your motivation changes. Oh too. yeah, and your day changes. You wake up. You already your day is made out for you because you know you're going to look for birds mm-hmm. every every hour every day that you have. That's yeah. what you do. Sun, sunrise to sunset, and then <laughs> right. a and little more. <laughs> you you put away things that normal people do, like going to see movies or uh, spending too long uh, going out to eat. I, mm-hmm. I did a lot of gas station food, <laughs> <laughs> but. And, and yeah, I didn't see a single movie in 1998. I was, I was <laughs> so, uh, very, missing a block a year. Right. Of movies. I, had, I had so little time to to work with just the birding part, mm-hmm. and and then working full time. It was insanity. I, yeah. I look back on it now. I could never do that now. I just I'm I'm out of shape. I just don't have that kind of energy. And really, you need a, a little level of stupidity to, to, to go along with it because you you need a measure of craziness to just to do it. Yeah, to, to chase that long, that hard. But it's like a, it's like a snowball. You really end up running on fumes, yeah. on adrenaline toward the end because this giant snowball, this little snowball that started at the beginning uh-huh. that you. You worked at, but you never thought of it as something that you were training for the Olympics. But by yeah. the by, that last half of the year, you're in gear, and you realize if you're going to make this count, then everything is focused for for that way. And, yeah, and so everything else drops off. You you don't. You're not much of a social animal because <laughs> all you do is bird. Yeah. You bump into people, you say hi, but you're on a mission. Yeah. <laughs> so, did you were you always a competitive person, or was this even really a competitive thing, or was it for yourself? Because you you'd said you'd gone through a lot I, of. I started out personal as things. myself, and I'm competitive, but I'm only competitive in things that I think that I have an advantage. <laughs> <laughs> and, right. and hearing birds and identifying them by ear uh, 20 years ago was still a really big advantage. Now, with a lot of the apps and stuff available and uh, the amount of exposure that other young kids have gotten that I got, yeah. uh, and, and even better, they have a lot available to them. Mm-hmm. And many of them have availed themselves to all of these tools and they could bird circles around me now. That's <laughs> their ears are better than mine. Their eyes are better than mine, and they are even more focused than I was when I was young. And it's it's scary, yeah, but also scary. exciting at the same time. It's it, it, it's scary. They're they're scary good, <laughs> but it's not scary in terms of them setting anything that I've done because what I did was the best that I could do. Mm-hmm. I, I put everything into it because when people ask me, would you have done anything different? Well, I have different knowledge now, so of course I would have done now, things yeah, differently. Yeah, looking back with this stuff, but yeah. looking from there, I I learned a secret early on in life that if you want to be happy in life, you don't leave things undone. Mm-hmm. If you project yourself forward and look back, how will I feel if I didn't do blah, 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 blah? Yeah. And how would I feel if I did do blah, 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 blah. And that often gives you a good perspective of whether you should do something or not. Because in, in regret, most people don't think forward far enough. They look at, at something immediate. Yeah. And they, if you always focus on the immediate, you'll lose your future. If you want a destiny, do things that will line up with the the... Take the path that will get you to that destiny. Yeah. <laughs> don't don't just uh, 
uh, muddle around with trying to feel things as uh, life coming to you all the time. Sometimes, most of the time, if you want opportunity, it's kind of like the door opens just wide enough for your foot to get in it, stick your foot in, and force it open and go. Uh, <laughs> and and many things you could do that you didn't think you could do. Yeah. Because uh, I've done many things in my life that I never dreamed I, I could do. Like, part of what gave me the mindset that I could do a big year was running a marathon in 94. I did the Marine Corps Marathon. Oh. And... Uh, I never dreamed that I would ever do a marathon, but yeah. I I found a training plan, uh, Galloway's book on running, mm-hmm. and it had plans just to finish. I didn't care about doing it fast; just I just wanted to finish. Yeah, and so I still have a certificate up in my house, and it <laughs> it made me a believer that you could do so many more things if you just planned ahead and put in whatever kind of effort. Because once you have a a target. You work your way backwards. Uh, so, like, say, for instance, you want to be president of the United States. It sounds really far-fetched, mm-hmm. but most of the presidents of the United States come from a group of people who are congressmen. Mm-hmm. And congressmen are lawyers. And most of them have majors in history. And so now you already yeah. have your yeah, life you, kind you, of you, shaped you've up. Path, yeah. Yeah, so you've sense. you've got a path by having worked backwards. Uh, so the same thing is with a, with a goal. Whatever it is, uh, you have your target, and then you move back a step. What's going to put you in the best position to get you to that next step? And then you keep working backwards, and then mm-hmm. you have the place from where you should start. Yeah, and and it's a wonderful way to plan out uh, a life. And, of course, you have the hiccups and things that happen along mm-hmm. the way. But if you have a structure in place, you have focus, and it gives you an incredible advantage over most people who are just trying to survive. Yeah. yeah. Well, because then you're, then you're living with purpose. You're, you're, you're going for something specific, and it's what you want, and you know exactly. in the end this is, this is the objective, the, and you know you're working towards it. So. Right, and this is what it's going to cost. Yeah. Most people don't like cost, but everything you do costs. Even yeah. to decide not to do it is a cost. Yeah. You take risks when you decide not to do things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm just going to I'm kind of take life as it comes. That has a cost and it has risk. Yeah. And the same thing with, you know, your your physical life too. There's when you everybody wants to be healthy, but what is the cost to, to get there? Yeah. Like burning right now has not been so good for my health. <laughs> and like doing the here at Space Coast, this is a really fun festival. Yeah. But I am worn out. And <laughs> right, I, I, I have, have eaten gas station food. I have just, you're, you're not your own. And mm-hmm. you, you're always doing things for other people all the time. And, you get to the end of the week and I've eaten poorly and I haven't exercised and I've been in a car and out of car, in a bus and out of a bus and yeah. I get just I haven't got my steps in, I haven't got my exercise, I haven't eaten right, I haven't slept right. Mm-hmm. And so if you do too many of those things, they add up. Yeah. So how many festivals do you go to every year? Do you go uh, just a couple or do you do a ton? <laughs> six to eight uh, okay. festivals wow. a year. Uh, and right now I, I'm not, uh, currently, uh, doing any of my tours. Uh, I'm doing caregiving uh, for my handicapped brother. Okay. Uh, my, my mom is taking care of him for his 60 years of his life. Uh, he was, uh, born mentally handicapped as, uh, as well as some physical handicap that went with it. Uh, uh, so he was never able to, to talk. Uh, okay. but he could, uh, he could make sounds, but he can't talk. And so his diaper needs to be changed mm-hmm. at a minimum of three times a day. Yeah, changing a baby's diaper can be messy. Changing an adult's diaper can be messier. <laughs> uh, he needs to be fed, bathed, clothed, uh, and now he's lost his ability to stand or walk oh. uh, because of uh, cerebral palsy. Uh, so his legs have just kind of seized up. 
Okay. And so now we, we use a, uh, a, a body sling yeah. and uh, either an electric lift or a hydraulic lift, depending where we're at in the house, mm-hmm. and wheelchair to get him around to places. But we really can't go out with him because we don't have any vehicle to, uh, to put him in. Because yeah. you'd need a special uh, wheelchair vehicle yeah. to take him anywhere. He's, his full weight is, uh, as an adult, it's, it's hard to get him around because mm-hmm. he can't stand. So now you have to lift. And yeah. uh, as a caregiver, your number one priority is, is your health. Mm-hmm. It's like doing the marathon. The worst thing you could do in a marathon is overtrain or yeah. do something stupid to get yourself injured mm-hmm. because you put yourself out of commission. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, and and you, you can't afford to do that. So the same thing with the caregiver. I've I still do festivals because the festivals are usually shorter than the one to two week trip yeah, tours that that's I take. True, yeah. Uh, and uh, the I'm also generally here in the United States. Uh, and so it's easier to, to get back home to Ohio if, if I need to yeah, that's, uh, yeah. in a heartbeat as opposed to having to make immediate arrangements like from Ecuador. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah out, out there in Napo and yeah, you've got a six-hour boat ride, get, get in Coca, fly back to Quito, Quito, I and mean, trying to... Yeah, exactly. That's, that's, that would be a headache, trying to emergency so, back. Yeah, yeah, the most important thing in life I, I, I love birds and I love goals, but the most important thing in life are people. Because when you get to the end of a person's life and they are looking back on their life or they're on their deathbed, they have only days or weeks to live. Mm-hmm. You don't hear people say, hey, could you bring me my bank statement? I'd like to go over how much I still have. <laughs> yeah. No, it, it, it's not important. Or right. yeah. can you take me in my wheelchair in my uh, little hospital gown down to the parking garage to look at my pretty car one more time? I, I just need some time with my car. Yeah. And, no, that doesn't happen. Yeah, yeah. And the stuff that we work so hard for to accumulate uh, are often the things that are really not that important. It's the people. Mm-hmm. That make all the difference because when you get to the end of your life, you look at places you didn't go, experiences that you didn't have, mm-hmm. and people that you left relationships less than perfect. Those are the things that people regret the most. Yeah. And to avoid those regrets, you should focus your life on on handling those things along the road yeah. on your yeah. way because. Your story is what people are going to say about you at your funeral. Mm-hmm. The people who stand up, your friends, your relatives, your the people who know you. Mm-hmm. And what are they going to say about you? And people work hard to try to find things to say about people. But if I, I want people to say, I would rather have them give character qualities and say nice things about how kind I was or how generous I was as opposed to, well, he had a really big year. And then, but part of that... He had a really doing, nice car. <laughs> part of doing the big year, mm-hmm. now that I have the the book and the movie, and I was blown away by those things. I really, I didn't know quite what to, what to do because I don't consider myself the best burner in the world yeah. or the second best burner in the world. <laughs> I'm good. Yeah. But I, those kinds of things don't come to everybody. Mm-hmm. So I I really spent a lot of time thinking why I am here and why I do, why this happened to, to me. Yeah. And I realized in life, when stuff comes your way, it's what you do with it that counts more than what it actually is. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing with the, the big year itself. It wasn't my final number that was as important as all the obstacles I overcame to get to that number, because that's what inspires other people. I'm a common, ordinary, everyday guy, yeah. and all this stuff, I, all this stuff happened to me. Yeah. So, what I do is I try to inspire other people. So when you ask me to do podcasts, this is my like an invitation for me yeah. to share inspiration to other people and say 
whether it's birding or whatever other hobby or avocation that you do, whatever you're passionate about, those are resources that you are stewards over and how you use those things to affect other people will be mm -hmm. how you will be measured at the end of your life. And it will be the story that you're able to tell other people is how you treated other people with what you have. Yeah. So like, like you said, with the uh, kind of directing inspiration, that's kind of what we're kind of pretty much what we're going for with the podcast. Well, and that was really the only way we figured we could get famous <laughs> in the birding world. <laughs> like we're not, we're not really that good at birders, but maybe we can inspire somebody to yeah. be a good birder. Yeah. Somebody that's not necessarily doing it yet. And we, we both, you know, we were inspired from, well, at least I was inspired to start bird watching because of David Attenborough and, you know, his, his life of bird series. And that's something that just got me really excited about it. And that was one of the things that we were hoping with the podcast is just get other people excited. We we don't know what's going to spark anybody, right. but you know, you just throw a bunch of stuff at them, and something will hopefully do <laughs> hey, it. Talk well, about our adventures. Talk, mm -hmm. talk, talk with people like you that have done just amazing things, inspirational things about birds, but, and try to. But like you said, you're an ordinary guy. Yeah, and, exactly. You know, anybody <laughs> can. Everyone's do an ordinary things. guy. Yes, <laughs> everybody's ordinary. Correct, and, but everybody's also unique. Yeah. But, but if everybody's unique, then it's kind of the same. Yeah. Everyone's <laughs> unique, so everyone's... But <laughs> I, I find it amazing how many people want to be recognized for the things that they do. And yet, uh, when you want to be recognized, you're often going to have to choose things that are not everybody does mm -hmm. to be recognized. Because yeah. if you want to be... If you try to do things like everybody else you will look very ordinary mm -hmm. because that's how everybody else is. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I don't know why people are afraid to be, to do the things they, they really love. Like no matter how insignificant it seems, like birding, how insignificant does that seem? But now I touch thousands of lives. Yeah. I, I touch people every day, people that I don't even see. Yeah. People that hear me or people have bumped into me will quote me or talk about me. <laughs> and even the talk about me should be insp inspirational. Yeah. And so these are, these are things that I count as the responsible part of me. Because when I did my big year, I, tell, I joke, I say, the most <laughs> selfish and irresponsible <laughs> year of my life is now the most celebrated. Yeah. Because <laughs> really, I my big year was focused on me. I yeah. I did everything for me. Yeah. But now, when all this other stuff happened, I had a chance to give back. Yeah. And that's what I want to do now. Yeah. Well, I oh my gosh, you yeah. have given us so much great <laughs> yeah. information. This is amazing, and we really appreciate you so much taking the time to talk to us. And you know, it's just a pleasure to meet you and it's an honor to have you on our podcast. Likewise, an honor to be on your podcast and an honor to meet an audience or to be able to speak to an audience that I'd, people I may never meet. Yeah. So if you're out there and you feel inspired, I encourage you to do what it takes to count the cost of what you what it is you want to do with your life and take that path. And along the way, as as you become uh, well known for what you do, be a steward of it and share with other people. Yeah, thanks, Greg. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. So we really hope you enjoyed our interview with Greg Miller. Um, I know how much we appreciated it. Like we said, oh, it was a lot. It was a lot of fun sitting down with him. I learned so much, <laughs> and I, I feel like it kind of gained a new perspective on life. And yeah. like what he was saying about goals, like find your goal and then work backwards. I feel like I've kind of innately done that, but never really thought too much about yeah, it. Yeah, never like systematically thought it out all the way through, like to to do that. Well, let's start thinking about it a little more deeply when we have goals that we want to meet yeah. or, you know, or come up with some goals yeah. <laughs> find out where I want to be in life <laughs> exactly you know, I'm just kind of like enjoying it as I go right now so. <laughs> we'll start it I want to see 9,000 birds in my life and work back from there there we go I want, <laughs> I want to see a lot of birds <laughs> so I need to see a little a few birds to start with and work my way up there you go all right so I have I have an objective and I have a path to reach it 
So again, thank you, Greg. And we just appreciate it so much and we hope to see you around. So in our Ask Hannah and Eric uh, corner, we had another couple questions. This time it's from Mark. So here, I'll ask you, Eric. Okay, go ahead and Uh, ask me. Question number one, (laughs) have you been to Point Pelee for migration? I have not, not yet. Have you? (laughs) No, I haven't. Um, I sneak away and go birding without you sometimes. Oh, is, is <laughs> so that, across is, the country. Is that where you go when I'm taking a nap in the <laughs> afternoon? Yep. Oh, I see. <laughs> okay, so number two. If not, when are you planning your trip over here? I don't even know. I. When, when could we go? It looks like Mark suggests uh, May, like May. late. Uh, All right. Like yeah, mid May. Well, let's see. 2020. Let's do 2020 May. You think t- May 2020? Yeah, I don't know if we could do 2019. They were kind of booked up for May. I don't know. We kind of plan vacations like two weeks before they happen. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, so let's wait until April 2020 and we'll figure out if we're going to go or not. Well, okay. So <laughs> one of the Mays. So thank you, Mark, for sending your question. Um, yeah, thanks, Mark. Yeah, it gives us another idea of a birding place to birdie place to go. Birdie place. Yeah. Uh, so if you guys have any questions, please email us at Hannah and Eric Birding at gmail dot com with those. And if they're good. We'll read them on air. If they're bad, we'll read them on air, too. Yeah. <laughs> thanks, Mark. Yeah, thanks. And thank you all for listening to our podcast. We hope you enjoyed it and or learned something. Um, please, please, please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Music, and anywhere else you listen to us. That's really how we get more listeners and spread our voice across the internet, you know, if you want to do that sort of thing. If you, if you don't want to hear our voice, I guess you could just turn it down, but still listen. Just turn it down. Yes. <laughs> just have it on mute in the background. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but we, really, we do appreciate it so much when you guys rate, review, and subscribe. And also on Facebook. Um, if you'd like to connect with us, please follow us at Hannah Goes Birding and Eric Go Birding Goes Birding on <laughs> Instagram. Uh, or on our Facebook page, Hannah and Eric Go Birding, or email us at Hannah and Eric Go Birding at gmail.com. Tell us what you hated, tell us what you liked, uh, share with your friends, and please tell more people about us. We really appreciate that. Yeah, thanks. Bye.